Well, hello there. Welcome to the Frogs War podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Treepwasser. It has been a week, not that just is- in the life of TCU athletics, but not excluding TCU athletics either, Melissa. Yeah, quite a bit has been happening here around uh, the Horned Frogs. Not all of it good. No, definitely not. It's, uh, you know, first of all, we should address why we didn't have a podcast last week. I think, um, you know, we recorded what I think was a stellar episode. Undoubtedly. Uh, high level, high quality audio content. Uh, only Minus to have it disappear. Minus yeah. the audio disappearing out of, out of thin air to nothingness, um, which is super annoying, especially because you told us all about your half marathon. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about TCU basketball slide, which I guess we can still talk about that in several yeah, different ways now. Um, yeah. But yeah, so let's let's dive in, Melissa. Um, news broke on Thursday afternoon. Uh, per Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, that two new schools had been linked to the college basketball corruption probe. Um, And those schools were a school in Nebraska and a school in Texas. And then as Dan continued to tweet, we narrowed it down, and it was Creighton and TCU uh, that had received, assistant coaches from each of those schools had received payments from uh, the man whose name is escaping me right now because I'm driving in the car. Um, the guy who just went to jail this week for bribing assistant coaches to send student athletes his way to use his agency company. Um, Melissa, I'm sure you're looking that up right now. I and am. as Dan continued, as Dan continued to tweet and tweet and tweet, uh, some names appeared and it appears now we will say reportedly and allegedly Corey Booker, assistant coach at TCU, uh, received a $6,000 payment in June of 2017 um, to funnel student athletes to this guy uh, so that when they went to the NBA, he could be their agent, make a lot of money, that kind of thing. Um, Christian Dawkins uh, is the name. Thank you, Christian Dawkins. Thank you. Uh, He is the same guy who was – you know, the, the person involved with all of those assistant coaches at Oklahoma state and Arizona and Kansas. And, um, so this isn't, uh, necessarily a good thing, Melissa, that Corey Booker has been accused of doing this. Uh, but it doesn't mean, yeah, Corey Barker doesn't mean, yeah, Corey Booker is a Senator. Corey Barker is the assistant coach at, uh, TCU. Um, but it doesn't mean a couple of things. First of all, no new charges were filed. This is old information that the FBI has had for about a year and a half, uh, and they're just acting on it now. So uh, it's virtually uh, there's virtually no chance that Barker gets arrested or any other TCU coaches or anything like that. Um, it does not mean that TCU players are at TCU illegally, that they've been receiving payments or anything like that. Um, that really doesn't have much to do with this this portion of the scandal. Um and it definitely doesn't mean uh, that uh, anything more necessarily is going to come out about this. It's really just an assistant coach from TCU took 6000 bucks in the summer of 2017 um, to point athletes in this one guy's direction. Uh, yeah. Melissa, what were your thoughts when you heard that all of this was going on? 
Well, I mean, the first thought, obviously, is disappointment. Um, when the FBI case first broke a year ago, you know, Jamie Dixon was asked very poignantly about, uh, you know, keeping his house clean and making sure that his assistant coaches weren't engaging in any, any of these activities. And to hear, you know, a short time later that TCU is, of course, involved in this is, is certainly a, a disappointing thing. Um, you want to think the best of your programs and your coaches and believe that, that programs are doing things the right way, but you know, this is, this is pretty rampant in college athletics and, and football and basketball. And, um, I'm not going to excuse it and say, Oh, it's not that big of a deal, blah, 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 uh, because it's, it's, it's breaking the rules and, and you want to win, but you don't want to win at all costs, in my opinion. Uh, so disappointing. Uh, it, it does seem for what we know so far that, that this did not involve, uh, like you said, players that are on the roster. And so, as far as we are being told at the moment, this is not a pay-for-play scandal. Um, and so that, that is a little bit better, I guess, um, if you want to quantify these, these types of things. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess, I guess the biggest takeaway I've had from this is all of the people making fun of TCU for, you know, cheating and, and doing it this poorly, with, which I'm happy to remind them of what TCU was in the 80s when it came to football. So uh, TCU does not have a, a long track record of cheating well, I guess, is, is what I'll say to that regard. So, um, you know, I, I think that, that you feel Corey's a good guy, um, seems to be someone who's beloved by the players. If he is indeed a part of this, you have to imagine that's, that's the end of his TCU coaching career, and that would certainly be unfortunate. Yeah, it would be because, like you said, he seems seems to be a good guy and and has done, you know, uh, obviously as a part of the staff under Jamie Dixon has done a lot to help turn this program around. Um, and one thing I do want to note, because Dan Wetzel names in his article on Yahoo, uh, Kenrich Williams uh, as being uh, one of these players. Kenrich Williams' agent has no association with Christian Dawkins. Actually, Kenrich Williams' agent has his own agency. Uh, mm-hmm. so there's, uh, maybe an inadvertent line that can be drawn because there's a suggestion that one of these players, uh, from Creighton or TCU is now in the NBA. And there are two players that qualify, uh, one from Creighton and obviously Kenny Hustle from TCU. Um, but there's no, there's no proof there and there's no anything really there based on who Kenny's agent is. So, but his name is probably well, going to pop up in the next couple of days. Sure. Well, and it's, it's one of those things too, where, where in these types of situations, they're throwing a little bit of money to an assistant coach with the hopes that they'll encourage them to sign. But that's not a guarantee. At the end of the day, the players are making their own decisions. They obviously look right. at uh, these coaches as mentors and they're going to, <clears throat> to trust them for a lot. But uh, there's also nothing stopping them from taking the money and saying, Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this and not doing anything about it either. So uh, there's a lot that we don't know. Um, you know, the, it's the smoke fire situation here is you start to have to wonder if they're willing to do it for this. You know, does that mean that maybe other money was changing hands? Um, but we don't want to jump to any conclusions in that regard. No, definitely not. It's pretty irresponsible to do that, um, even though a lot of people, especially on social media, are. And, you know, realistically, Melissa, it feels like this is uh, really just going to be a big PR issue, and that's that's the extent mm-hmm. of what this is going to be as far as problems for the Frogs, because – you know, it's, I mean, he's probably going to get fired. And then, you know, that's pretty much that, you know, you've seen around yeah. the, when this has happened at other schools, like all of the other assistants have been fired and they're all, they're all charged with stuff. That's not going to happen with, with Barker, but, um, you know, all of the head coaches are still in place at those schools. All of the other assistants for the most part still remain at those schools. Um, 
you know, it's, it's really, it's not something that's going to impact the program more than just from a aesthetic stand, standpoint. Here's, here's the important question. I'll be down in Austin on Thursday. A, how much uh, are you going to pay me to ask the question or B, how, uh, what's the over under on number of times the question is asked in the post game uh, conference Saturday uh, afternoon? We rarely get the first question with Dixon, so True. I guarantee True. you that if you're asking a question regarding this, it will be a follow-up. Someone else will ask the question first. It, it, I can almost guarantee you this. It will not be a TCU beat reporter that asks the question first. That'll, that'll absolutely come from the Austin Statesman would be my guess. Unless certain people from the Forest Star Telegram are there. <laughs> that's true, Drew. Mate, Drew and we're not talking. We're not talking about you, Drew. We're not talking about oh, you. That's right, not Drew. Other certain people, which yeah, I guess I'm going to guess he will be now. Most likely under the Most events. Likely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's been well, on a hot streak lately. <sighs> we can save that conversation for the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, we got to space these space these things out. But we do actually actually have like TCU basketball to talk about. Yeah, because well, they've lost. Of. They've lost six out of their last seven. Uh, they lost at home to Kansas State on senior night, a, a senior night where it felt like Alex Robinson really didn't play much in the second half, um, yeah. oddly enough. But, uh, yeah, they're pretty much on the outside looking in of the tournament right now. They've got one game left at UT, which I, I wouldn't bet money on them to win that game, frankly. And uh, this team just because of the injuries and the transfers and all of the attrition at this point could, you know, we've had this conversation about expectations and adjusting those throughout the season as these things have come up, but you know, this is an NIT bound team. It feels at this point. Yeah. And you know, I was at the game on Monday night. Um, it was, it was unusual and that neither JD or Alex came out in the post game press conference, um, which on senior night was, was kind of odd to, to see. Um, but if you, if you want to take some positives, you know, this, this, this season isn't a loss. I mean, it, it's not like we are that far removed from being ecstatic to be invited to the NIT or waiting with bated breath, hoping we get an invite to the NIT. And this is a team that will likely get a berth, will host some games, um, and, and could very well be contenders to win the whole thing if they can stay healthy the rest of the way. Uh, it's great experience, but the young guys, you know, maybe, maybe playing two weeks in the NIT is better than being one and done in the NCAA tournament from an experience standpoint. And, uh, you know, when you talk about Alex not having played a whole lot in the second half, that's because Jamie Dixon was going with the lineup that was hot and that lineup was young. It was all guys that are expected to be back in, in next fall and the, for the season. You know, you had Kendrick Davis, who, who played really strong, has been good. Uh, down the stretch here, RJ Nemhard, who has, you know, two of his last three games have been double digit scoring outputs. He looks a lot more aggressive, a lot more comfortable with the ball. Uh, Desmond Bain, who, you know, as a junior was the oldest guy on the floor. Uh, Quatnoy is a redshirt sophomore, is a guy that's had at least one more year. And then Kevin Samuel. And, and the best part about Monday night's game was watching Kevin Samuel not just go to work, but demand the ball and demand that his teammates find him in the paint. And he was dominant in the first half of that game. Uh, K-State made some good adjustments, but he looked he looked like the kind of player that we all expect him to be. And uh, I actually asked Kevin and RJ after the game about what it was like to be on the floor with that lineup and kind of getting a glimpse into, you know, that that's probably your first five or, or a pretty close iteration of your first five next year. And uh, they were really excited about it. They said, you know, we made a good run with that group, that we know that group can do a lot of things well, that we're not done with this season, but but it's pretty exciting to know going forward that we have that kind of talent available, plus, you know, more coming off the bench and 
and coming in as freshmen. So uh, it was a nice little glimpse into the future. And they, man, they were explosive on both ends of the floor. They went on a nice 10 to nothing run and, and did some, did some good things to kind of give you a little bit of hope going forward. So do you think that lineup gets the most play against Texas on Saturday? Like, do you think, I mean, because Dixon has said, has said throughout this losing streak that, uh, their and their goals have not changed. Like their expectations are still to make the tournament. So knowing that that's kind of the hot lineup, even though you've only got seven scholarship players and you really only have so many combinations that you can roll yeah. out there, do do you think that that's the lineup that gets the most run on Saturday? Well, I think he's still running with the hot hand. Um, you know, we saw him go to RJ off the bench before he went to Kendrick, and that's something that hasn't been happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the last last couple of games, and so he's. I think he's going by who's who's practicing, who looks good in practice, who's not banged up, who's not dealing with the flu. Um, but but I think you know we've seen more and more down the stretch, more RJ and more Kendrick, and I expect to see more of them as well. Um, it's not TCU's last basketball game this year. It's it's their last regular yeah. season game, but they're going to play at least one in the Big Twelve tournament, and by all indications, they're going to get a bid to the NIT, and they're going to accept it. So. Um, I think you got to keep giving Alex and, and JD some minutes, but I, I do. I think that, that if if the starting lineup comes out and, and doesn't do their job, I would certainly think that we'll see a lot more Kendrick and RJ, and we'll see him early. Um, Quat was did not play great on Monday night, and, and a lot of that was the Kansas State defense. But uh, he's you know he picked up two really really quick fouls, and and then RJ was kind of the guy until late in the game. And so I think uh, Jamie Dixon's really comfortable with him. You know, he's obviously super comfortable with Kendrick Davis and, and Alex um, is just like, I know people want to just rip on him. And, and I'm going to say I just, that dude's just worn down. Um, he's not a big yeah. guy. He's not a thick guy. He has taken a lot of hits this season. He's just not 100 percent. So I think we'll see a lot more Kendrick Davis on Saturday, too. Well, I mean, if it gives us the best chance to win, then I, I kind of expect it to sure. do it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Frogs, like you said, it's not their last game of the season. They're locked in pretty much to the eighth seed in the Big 12 tournament next week, um, which means that they will play, depending on how the rest of the standings fall out, uh, either Oklahoma State or West Virginia, uh, a team, two teams that they have beaten this year at home and lost to on the road. Uh, both of those losses on the road were significant in this last uh, couple weeks of the decline of TCU's season. Um do you think a win on Saturday and a win in round one of the tournament is enough to get them to the NCAA tournament? Or do they have to yeah. beat that one seed next, the, the second round of the Big 12 tournament? So they, they've got six wins in conference play, right? So you'd be going to seven and nine. Well, there's, no, there, seven no, and, seven, 12, and, no there, 11, seven, 11, seven, yeah. seven and 11. Yeah, I don't think 7-11 is going to get it done um, unless – and maybe if you beat the number one seed, but I don't even think that's going to be enough. Um, I mean, we saw we saw TCU do that two years ago, knock off Kansas in the Big 12 tournament, and I think they had six or seven conference wins that year and didn't get in. So um, sure. I, I think all the things that Jamie Dixon is saying about how strong the Big 12 is are absolutely right, uh, that TCU has played a meat grinder of a schedule, and they've done it shorthanded most of the year that six of their losses are to teams that could very likely find themselves in the Elite Eight, um, but they have some really, really bad losses on their schedule. And with the way West Virginia's fallen off, with, with the way Iowa State's fallen off here over the last couple of uh, couple of days, um, I, I just I don't think that a 7-9 uh, seven, seven 
11 record in that conference play is going to be enough to, to get it done unless they go on a pretty significant win streak. Like I think they'd have to get to the finals of the big 12 tournament to even be considered. Um, I just, I just don't think, I don't think it's in the cards this year. I just don't see any way that it happens. Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, I mean, based on their recent track record, the likelihood of them winning three in a row. Yeah. Basically nothing. It's not there. Yeah. It's just not there, which is unfortunate because we had such high hopes, but that doesn't mean that we can't have high hopes for the future, uh, especially with what we've seen from the young guys lately. It does give you a little bit of hope moving forward. Yeah. If you don't have four transfers, yeah. If you don't have four guys transfer out at semester this year, then you're probably in a completely different situation and you can, you anticipate that you won't have four guys transfer out next year. Uh, if you can keep well, a consistent lineup and, and not absorb, you know, half of your team being unavailable for significant stretches of the season, then, then I think the talent is there. And, and if assuming Jamie Dixon's at the helm, that they should be in a good position to finally start building towards a consistently competitive team and, and one of the hardest conferences in the country. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, Melissa, uh, we've got a lot more to talk about this episode because uh, TCU football picked up their first commit of the 2020 class. TCU baseball um, scored 19 runs in a game earlier this week. Uh, we've got questions to get to and a proposal uh, about a, a, a kind of a, a cool thought game um, to get to later in this episode. So why don't we take a quick break and then get right back to it? And we're back. Um, Melissa, TCU football, finally broke the seal and got their first commit of 2020 class this year. That is exciting news. That's that's good stuff for the Horned Frogs. It's nice. Um, my computer is completely frozen right now, so that's not nice. Cool. Um, but TCU's commit on Thursday morning, I guess, Thursday morning, uh, was Jade Barron, a cornerback from Pflugerville, Texas, uh, stands at 5'11", 175. Um, doesn't really have many offers, but he was just on campus for TCU's junior day, uh, which was a pretty packed junior day. A lot of, a lot of talent was on the field. Um, and so he commits just a few days after being on campus at TCU, and he definitely fits the mold of a TCU corner. He's about the same size as Jeff Gladney, a couple inches shorter, but as far as thickness goes. Um, <clears throat> and he is fast. He is rangy. He can hit you hard. Uh, he's got all of those kind of all of the the boxes are all there that to be checked um, for what Gary Patterson looks for in a cornerback. Do you think um, this opens the floodgates a little bit for TCU? I mean, I don't think the Frogs have historically been the type of team or program that is you know got ten guys filling out their class before summer hits. Um, that's just that's just not really been. The frogs just aren't quite there yet, right? And it may never be that to that level. This isn't OU or, or Alabama or anything. Um, I think what we'll end up seeing here is over the next few months, you know, one or two or three more trickle in, and then when it gets to the summer camp circuit, start to see uh, Patterson and his his crew start to try to nail down guys. Um, the frogs tend to get, if, and you're going to know this better than me, but from what I normally tell, that kind of that May to July is where the majority of the commitments come in. And then there's always a handful right right around the beginning of the high school football season as guys kind of start to realize they'd, they'd like to sign in December and have an answer. So um, I don't – and it's a small class too, right? There's not a whole lot of 
yeah. uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of scholarships available. So I think they'll be a little choosy, um, a little picky on, um, on who they offer, especially this time of year. Uh, they've got a couple of offers out to some pretty big fish and that they'll be waiting on as well. So uh, I, I don't expect to be in double digits before August probably would be my guess. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, and you're right. It is going to be a smaller class. I think at most they'll, they'll be able to take like 16 or 17 guys, uh, this class, unless there's some major attrition that we don't foresee right now that comes in the fall. Um, and so you're right. I think they are going to be a little bit pickier. They are going to kind of go out and get the guys that they want, which means that if a kid has committed already, um, that the coaches have allowed that to happen. Because oftentimes in recruiting, what we don't kind of see on the back end are those kids that maybe want to commit but are told to wait off or told to hold mm-hmm. off a little bit. Um, and so if, if Barron is committed right now, that means that the coaches, one, really, really like him, uh, and two, um, we're okay with him jumping on board. So, uh, you know, you can look at ratings and you can look at offer sheets. Uh, he doesn't really have much of that at this point, but he's a talented kid, Um I wouldn't be shocked to see his recruiting blow up a little bit now that he has a TCU offer and is committed to TCU sure. because that's typically how it works these days. Um, and so, yeah, you got to be excited about a skill position and the, the defensive secondary jumping on board right now, kind of being the guy that kickstarts this, this recruiting class. Pretty yeah, neat. absolutely. And you're hundred percent right that this is going to be one of those situations where this kid all of a sudden now everybody else is going to get start sniffing around and go, Oh, Gary Patterson likes this cornerback, huh? He's going to have an Alabama offer and a Texas offer here by May. Just watch. Dude, it's wild. Like they, and coaches are just are open about it at this point. They're, you know, other coaching staff mm-hmm. say, yeah, if they, if kids get an offer from TCU and we don't know much about them, we start to do our homework because we know that Gary Patterson has done his. Like, it's wild that people are so open about, you know, kind of just keeping an eye on what Gary Patterson's doing over at little TCU. You know it. It's wild. It's it's a whole new world that we're living in. Yeah, gosh, yeah, on, it really uh, is. On this on the same subject though of TCU football, um, you know, a lot of videos cropped up from the open practice on Sunday of one particular current Horn Frog who looks to be pretty much all the way back healthy again, Melissa, and that of course is Justin Rogers. Very Justin Rogers times. completely cleared to practice. He is going 100% through all of the drills. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's 100% yet, but he is uh, has no limitations when it comes to what he can do in practice. And that was not expected to be the case at this moment in the spring. So to have him back all the way like that has to be a huge boost to this thing, right? Well, here's the deal. First of all, we need to learn to uh, listen to Justin's mom because she's been telling us for several months now that he was going to be just fine. So everyone, mm-hmm. everyone should be uh, should be giving Veronica a little more credit here um, and his brother as well. So, um, but no, it's it's great. Look, it, it, getting ju- a healthy Justin Rogers back or a ninety to ninety five percent healthy Justin Rogers back is is the key to to TCU season. Um, you know, I think Alex Delton, uh, I was talking to some of the guys who were at practice at the game Monday, and, and everybody kind of said, you know, like Alex Delton looks the best so far, but Alex Delton is the only guy to have really played college football. So that's as to be expected. But Rodgers has all the natural talent, all the natural ability, all the leadership quality in the world. And 
if he can stay healthy, if he can go through spring, then I don't think that there's any TCU fan that doesn't expect him to win the starting job and to completely elevate that position quickly. Um, we don't want to put too much pressure on him, but uh, if he's the guy, you feel a lot better about TCU's chances than anybody else. I think Max Duggan's going to be awesome. Um, he's got the tools as well. We saw that in some of those videos. But but if you want TCU to be a Big 12 title contender, if you want them to to get back into you know the, the New Year Six conversation, you need a quarterback that has the skill set of Justin Rogers to be fully uh, to, to to reach your highest goals. And um, I'm I'm excited to watch him through spring and see if he can be that guy. Yeah, and you know people don't always put a lot of stock in some of these passing stats that come out of high school. Uh, for quarterbacks that are highly rated. But if you look at some of his stats compared to Sean Robinson's, I think the biggest one to note is completion percentage. Because as much as that has to do with high school wide receivers either catching or dropping passes, it also has to do with uh, just the general uh, level of accuracy that you have as a quarterback. And, you know, Sean Robinson never had a very high completion percentage, even in high school, he was always around kind of 55 to 60%. Fairly certain Justin, my computer still frozen. I can't look this up. If you want to look this up, that's fine. But I'm fairly certain Justin Rogers completion percentage for his high school career was right around 70%. And that's not like 68 or something. And that's, it's not going to translate perfectly to college football um, because stuff like that naturally takes time as you adjust to the speed of the next level. But you can't teach a guy to be more accurate. Mm -hmm. You can teach timing and you can teach routes and you can teach progression and footwork and all this other stuff. But realistically, like accuracy is one of those things that you can't teach. And it seems like Rogers has it. And that would be the first time uh, in a couple quarterbacks that TCU has had a, a quarterback that can just sling it and get it right where it needs to go. You know, Trevon Boykin was yeah. incredible. He was so underrated as a passer especially regarding accuracy. Kenny Hill had accuracy struggles if he threw it, you know, more than 20 yards downfield. Sean Robinson had accuracy struggles if he threw the football. And so, you know, this is an opportunity, I think, for TCU to kind of get back to that run, run and gun where they're actually slinging the ball all over the field if Justin wins the job. And, you know, we've also heard reports out of camp, too, that Alex Delton not only is the most experienced, but is also a really solid passer in its own right. Um, it'll be interesting to see as the competition progresses in, in the spring and into the fall, uh, how limited Delton was by the offense that they were running at Kansas State. Because it's just not a very pass-happy offense there. Uh, and so if this is a guy that can start to sling it around a little bit too and really push Justin and they kind of challenge each other for that starting job, uh, it's it's going to make this whole thing a lot better. Absolutely. And, and that is one thing that we've heard a lot is that when they were doing some of the throwing drills that the media got to watch that – Alex Delton had no accuracy issues that he was hitting guys in stride. He was putting passes on the money. And, and that seemed to be the overwhelming sentiment is maybe we undervalued this guy a little bit based on the offense that he came out of, which was uber, uber conservative and uh, not really set to maximize the throwing quarterback skill set. So again, the best thing, it, this is that, that kind of cat and mouse game of if you've got a really good quarterback competition, does that mean that neither guy is really good? Or does that mean that both guys are capable of, of being the starter? And right now, it's I think it's okay to think positively and to say, hey, we may have two guys that are capable of making plays here at this position and elevating TCU back up to the standards that we've come to expect in Fort Worth. Um, and, and just to believe 
believe the best in them as uh, they start to get into scrimmages and, and we count down towards the spring game here coming up in about a month. Yeah. And, you know, hope springs eternal because we were having this exact same conversation last time, last year around this time about Sean Robinson and Michael Collins being so close in their quarterback. Uh, we, know, but none of us felt good gun. about that, though. None yeah, of us none felt of us nearly as good as we do about Justin <laughs> Rogers. Of course not. But it was that same thing where, okay, yeah, they're pushing each other. Maybe this is, maybe this is a good thing. Um, this feels a lot different though this year around. Yeah, absolutely. So it's always good. Uh, you know, the spring game is April 6th at one o'clock in the afternoon. So they've announced that officially, which is kind of nice. Um, obviously will still be a free event. I'm fairly certain for, uh, for Frog fans to go and, sh- and see Max Duggan and Alex Dalton and Justin Rogers and all of the guys that uh, surround them to make up TCU football. It's always kind of a fun event. I've, I've liked what it's turned into over the last couple of years. Yeah, Gary jumps in the stands and is hanging out with fans. And um, I think that he's that's one of the things we've seen his biggest growth as a coach is that he used to be all business all the time, and he's he's kind of buying into the hype around college football and having a little bit of fun with things like this and making them a lot more fan-friendly than they've been in the past. And the spring game is certainly an example of that. It really is. It, it really is. And it's a fun time. It's a really laid-back atmosphere. Like I take, uh, you know, didn't at least past year because it was so cold, but two years ago I took, took the kid out there and he was running around at the stands and having fun, and that was kind of his first experience with with being at a quote unquote football game. So it's, it's easy for parents to do too, um, to get out there for a couple hours and, and watch the frogs uh, knock around on a football field. Pretty cool. Perfect. Sure is. It sure is. Um, let's, let's shift gears though, Melissa, because TCU baseball, um, had a weekend down in Houston to forget shockingly enough, uh, you know, in, in the, podcast that will never be heard that we talked uh you know last from last week uh we talked about how excited we were about the shriners classic and expectations for that weekend i think i said i thought tc would go three and oh um because of the way that they were hitting the baseball and the way that the starting pitchers were looking and all this other stuff and tcu came out of that weekend one and two with a friday win over houston 10 to six that should not have been as close as it was uh, a one to nothing loss to Texas A&M on Saturday night, and then an embarrassing 12 to two run rule loss to three and six Rice on Sunday evening. It was a brutal weekend for the Frogs. Now they bounced back on Tuesday night with a 19 to three win over Stephen F. Austin, um, where they had 21 hits and 18 singles. But it feels like this team is still trying to feel out who they are, find their identity, and and it's leading to some streaky baseball right now. So first first thing I want to mention is that, yes, Rice's record is not good, but all of Rice's losses coming into the weekend were to ranked opponents. So they have paid one of the toughest schedules so far this year. Uh, They beat... You know, a, a, a Baylor team that was a, a top 15 team, I believe, going into the Houston weekend the night before they beat TCU. That is a really, really good, really veteran, really experienced team that has veteran college pitchers. Um, the, the loss was embarrassing because of the score, 
but losing that rice loss is not going to be one that comes back to haunt them when it comes to uh, postseason. More than likely, it's not a bad loss per se, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I think I mean I think really what this comes down I mean, to. I is, mean, they, regardless of talent of the other team, though, getting run rolled is is a bad loss. For sure. Yeah, I mean you you don't you don't want to get run rolled. That's not something you're going to look back and be be happy about. But it was it was one of those things where. You know, Janzak had a just a beautiful first inning and, and looked like the Jared Janzak of old. Um, and then it, he unraveled in the second inning. You saw Andrew Kiefer make a couple of errors, and he'd played pretty much perfect baseball to that point. Uh, the Salton run himself out of and it. Just, it just spiraled and unraveled, and, and very much like a young team would. Once one wheel came off, the other three just went barreling down as well. So um, not, not, I'm not trying to justify the way that they lost, um, but – that rice team is, is legit. That was that was a really really good baseball team, um, and, and I think that people look at their record and just like, oh, that's, that's terrible. It wasn't that bad of a loss. Uh, just the way that they did was really terrible. Um, but but anyways, um, you know, I think a couple things came out of that weekend. Number one, uh, Schlossnagel announced uh, something that I think we all kind of saw coming, and that is Jake Eisler is going to take Jared Janzek's uh, place in the rotation for now. Move mm-hmm. move Danny to the bullpen. Um, he looks great for an inning. And, you know, we've seen that in, in all of his starts is that he starts out so strong. He just does not have the endurance um, and the arm strength right now to, to go deep into games. And so Eisler has been unbelievable. Taking him out of the pen um, hurts. But Charles King pitched really well over the weekend. Marcelo Perez has looked really, really good in his opportunities. Um, I, I think you've got enough bullpen help that, that you put, uh, you know, throw – Janney in the pen, maybe in a Sean Weimer eighth inning role type of a thing, or, you know, at least a guy that can give you one or two innings once or twice a weekend um, and, and allow Jake Eisler to go out and do his thing because he, he's been TC's most consistent pitcher from start to finish pretty much every every game. So um, that's a good thing. And, and the bats, you know, I, I don't – that A&M, that was just a really, really well-played baseball game. It's hard to get too upset about a one nothing loss. Um, but, but yeah, seeing the wheels come off against Rice was, was certainly disappointing. Uh, They'll get a good shot against – it's a good program um, against Long Beach this weekend and in San Diego during the week. And then they've got one more tune-up before you welcome Texas to town. So Big 12 play is going to start um, with with, with the, probably the favorite – one of the two favorites to win it. Uh, the Horns took it to LSU over the weekend um, and, and swept an yeah. LSU team that was ranked in the top ten too. So, number uh, one. They were baseball, ranked number one. They were, they were number one. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So uh, Big 12 baseball is going to be something else. And – uh, some of these these young players are going to have to adjust to that really really quickly. And it, yeah, and you're right. And it's not just youth too. It's the fact that you know this is a pretty JUCO heavy squad. Uh, you know, I think Hunter Wolf was a little prophetic when he said after one of the games against Grand Canyon that you know we got a lot of JUCO guys. Um, they just don't have experience at this level yet. Uh, and I think Zach Humphreys backed him up on that when he said you know we've got a lot of mature hitters. They just have to get more experience at this level against this level of pitching. And maybe that's where some of the the hitting inconsistency is coming through because, you know, you have them scoring 14, 15, 16, 17 runs one game and then putting up zero, one, and two uh, the next day. And a lot of that does have to do with pitching too. Like you mentioned, Texas A&M's pitcher, Asa Lacey, that day was just untouchable. Uh, he had a, a few accuracy or – accuracy issues from the windup, but when he was pitching out of the stretch, the dude was unhittable. And that's why TCU only had one hit all game. And so you tip your cap to a guy like that. It's, it's in those games where, you know, it's the four to one loss to grand Canyon 
where you leave a lot of runners on base. It's the two to nothing loss against uh, Cal State Fullerton, where you leave a lot of runners on base. That kind of consistent hitting throughout the throughout the order. Uh, that'll come, I think, with time as these guys get more and more used to seeing the level of of arm talent that they that they're going to encounter uh, at, at you know as they get into Big Twelve play. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and the thing that we do know is that TCU has the arms to match up with those others. If they can get some hits, if they can sure. score five runs a game in Big 12 play uh, with L- what Lodolo did, what Brandon Williamson did was unbelievable Saturday night. I mean, he matched pitch for pitch. He just, he had th- a three walk inning and that's just an absolute mm-hmm. killer. So uh, it it's, there's going to be some, uh, this is not going to be a, a, a year where we can sit back on our haunches and just enjoy it. It's going to be an every pitch seems stressful kind of year. I have a feeling, but this CC team is really, really good and has all of the pieces. It's just a matter, like we've been saying of be- having them come together consistently. Yeah. And, you know, it's nice, like in those midweek games to watch them run up the score on some teams too, just to, you know, For kind sure. of release, release some of the frustration from, from a bumpy weekend, uh, and maybe reset and get back on track a little bit there. 100%. So, um, Melissa, let's take another break really quickly and then we will get into, uh, some questions from the old Twitter machine. All right, Melissa, I tweeted out today that we would be taking questions on this thing, and we have gotten some. Do you want to lead us always through? A, always a dangerous thing to ask the people for some questions. Especially yeah, hot on the heels of, yeah, maybe skip the maybe skip the sand volleyball one that I see. I'm definitely skipping that one as, um, as an empowered female. I'm not okay with that. Uh, <laughs> yes, Fair. So let's start there, and then I'll take us through a, a thought game that someone proposed to us earlier in the day. Nice. Good. Uh, so we have a question from one of our favorite uh, TCU baseball fans, Dan Shedd. How come baseball hits uh, 100 home runs in one game and no runs in the other game? Great and question, note, Dan. <laughs> let's note that Dan asked this question. Uh, he's, he was shouting at us through Twitter because this was yeah, an all-caps question. All-caps question, and, and right, rightfully so. Um, mm-hmm. the thing that gives me a little bit of hope here is that TCU has hit some of those 100 home runs against really quality opponents. They're not just beating up on midweek teams, but you know, like right. we've been harping a lot of Juco guys, a lot of guys that haven't seen this level of pitching this consistently. Uh, the, it'll get better. It'll get better. I think so too. I mean, the, the, the talent is there in the lineup that much is obvious because they are putting so. up monster numbers. Um, but yeah, consistency comes with time. And experience, and they'll get it. Uh, yeah, uh, and the basketball uh, level here. Brian wants to know if Jamie. Well, he says Dixon, um, but I'm assuming he means Jamie Dixon. If Jamie Dixon will leave TCU. I mean, at some point, you know, there's a there's a saying that I've heard in ministry that I think is pretty pretty powerful. Uh, we're all interim ministers in the end, even if you stay at one calling for a decade. Uh, eventually you move on and the church stays there. Um, mm-hmm. Jamie Dixon will not be the head coach of TCU basketball for the rest of eternity. Whether that okay. ends in two years or 25, I have no idea. Um, I hope it's the latter because I really do think that um, ultimately, you know, he is the guy to drive this thing in, in the right direction for a while. Um, but situations change, opportunities arise, and you can't fault a guy for taking the next thing. Ultimately. 
Well, and, and, and you do wonder, depending on what the PR fallout of this recent uh, being linked to the probe is, does that push Dixon to want to leave or not? I don't think TCU fans are going to be calling for his job by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but TCU has, has been one that has made it very, very clear um, that they expect their coaches or programs to operate above board. And so, uh, I mean, we, we've heard Gary Patterson say that in press conferences before, that the beginning of the season, he gets called into the office with the athletic director and the chancellor, and they say, keep it clean, watch your assistant coaches. And, and he, you know, basically lets it be known that he feels like his job is on the line if, if somebody does something the wrong way. And so um, it's, I think we're going to see that this operated independently of Coach Dixon. I mean, that's that's what I would expect to, to see happen here. So I don't think that'll be a factor. Um, but uh, if things get sticky, some then maybe and UCLA does come call, calling. Uh, maybe maybe that happens. Uh, right now, though, I will say this. If I'm UCLA, my first call is not Jamie Dixon. My first call is Chris Beard. And so is my second call mm-hmm. and my third call. Uh, I don't think he'd leave for the Bruins, but that is the guy that I, if I'm a UNC fan, I am targeting Chris Beard because it looks like Roy Williams is, is uh, maybe a little bit closer to retirement than anyone expects. Yeah, UNC or UCLA. I mean, Chris Beard's got to be at the top of most people's lists at this point. Yeah. And please take him. <laughs> that dude's amazing. Please take him out of the big 12. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be heartbroken. Yeah. By yeah, any stretch he can, of the imagination. He can go anywhere he wants that is not a big 12 school. Um, what he's done in te- – I mean, I don't like tech. I don't think you like tech. Um, we, we all hate tech. I don't. But um, – you have to admire what he's done uh, to turn basketball games in that city and that town into a destination event. Uh, you're not going to do that mm-hmm. for you know, we, we, we did a lot of attendance talk uh, on Frogs of War this week. Uh, you are never going to have 14,000 people waiting in line to come to a PC basketball game. A, because we don't hold that many. Um, but there's just too much competition for people's eyeballs. You produce a winner, you'll sell out. Um, but what he's That's done also tech- 14,000 is larger than the student body. Yes. Like yeah, let's, we got, we got to name that. Like that's more people than there are at TCU right now yes. enrolled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but he's, he's built a winner and, but he's also, he's, he's made supporting that basketball program, the cool thing to do. And, and it's easy when you have a terrible football team too, that doesn't hurt. So, um, but anyways, yeah, mm-hmm. leave, please, Chris go elsewhere. Uh, Walter wants to know if hypothetically, if a university were to be sanctioned for conduct in one sport, does that sanction generally apply to impact the institution's other sports? Uh, it, I mean, it doesn't affect them as far as like sanctions go or anything like that. And, and realistically, I think depending on the program and the sport that you're talking about, the impact on other sports is pretty marginal. Um, we have seen universities that have had their football teams hammered with sanctions still have incredibly successful basketball programs and vice versa. Uh, so I would say that they're minimal. The PR hit and, and the brand hit uh, on the university is significant, but I don't think it impacts programs nearly as much. Uh, another hypothetical we're going to go with, Tim wants to know, how much money do we have to pay players to win a national championship? Well, we've already kind of proven that TCU has a bad track record at this, yeah. uh, you know, eighties for, for college football. Um, I'm going to say they would have to pay players a million dollars each. Million each. Yeah. Probably something around there. $80 million, $80 million for a national championship football team. 
Oh, I'll give man. 10 bucks. Yeah, or basketball or baseball. Uh, at this point, I think we've talked about this before, but let's let's veer off which which program of the big three because not rifle because we know rifle is going to get that natty soon. But which of the big three programs do you think is hopefully first? soon? Yeah, yeah, is first to win the national championship. I'm, I'm, I think I've answered this the same time, same way every time, and it's baseball for me. I think baseball yeah. is going to be the first one. I agree. Uh, I mean, Patrick wants to know. Really, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, for for basketball, like it's, it, you know, football has theoretically the shortest path. You know, you you just make it into the final four and win two games, and you've got it. But the political nature of the college football playoff at this point makes it feel like that's almost an impossibility for TCU. Yeah. For basketball, you've just got to get into the tournament and then win six games. But those games get progressively more difficult. Your margin for error is incredibly small. Um, uh, more often than not, you're going to lose. College baseball, the setup is perfect because you have, yes, smaller and smaller margins for error as you advance. But even in the college world series, you can lose a game and still move on to the final pairing. And in the final pairing, you can still lose a game and you still have okay. a chance at a national title. So not only do I think that TCU baseball just generally as a program is closer than the other two right now to being a, a, a team that can compete for a national title, but it's a more, it's a more forgiving road to reach a national title opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, Staying on that gear, but switching a little bit, Patrick wants to know, how many years do you think until TCU is truly competitive in Big 12 basketball? And I'm assuming by truly competitive, he means actually competing for Big 12 titles. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. Do you want to answer this one or do you want me to answer this one? I I mean, I I will say I think – that assuming that uh, nothing significant changes here off of this recent FBI probe, which I don't anticipate that it will, assuming that uh, we get a healthy um, squad next year and that we don't have four transfers and that either P.J. Fuller or Deontay Smith live up to the hype um, that they're coming in with, which I fully expect P.J. Fuller to do, um, and assuming that we can find uh, a secondary point guard option to play with or behind or around Kendrick Davis, um, I think that TCU can compete next year in the Big 12. Um, you're going to see uh, two of the biggest key players in the conference, both grad transfers, uh, Matt Mooney at Tech and um, old what's-his-face at Baylor, whose name I don't ever want to think about again. Um, both of those guys will be gone. Okay, Mason. I didn't want to think about his name. I know his name. I didn't want to think I'm about so his sorry. name. I'm um, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Dean Wade. <laughs> Dean Wade, thank God, will be gone um, from Kansas He's a State junior. A he's a junior this year. No. He's gone, but he's gone pro. That dude's got to go pro. He's, he's been hurt. Dean Wade is a junior this year. I saw that yesterday, I'm, and nope, that's, I wept. He has played longer than Perry Ellis. Um, so we're going to assume he's going, he's going to the – if he comes back, Kansas State could win a national championship next year. Like I don't, I don't that's think a that's that. I, I, I don't that think that's hyperbole whatsoever. Claim. That that is the most complete team in the conference. Um, they don't rely on outside shooting, but they can hit threes when they need to. They play great defense. They rebound. They have one of the most versatile players in the country in Dean Wade, who does so many things well. Um, I don't think that they will win a national championship, but that's the team I would not want to play from the Sweet Sixteen on. 
they are a scary yeah, but they team lose, to they lose, with defense. They lose Bobby Brown Jr. and Xavier Sneed after this year. I mean, if they want to make a run, it's now or never, in my opinion. Man, I don't know. I just I, I think they could get it done. Um, but yeah, but I, I think I think you know WV is going to have to basically build from scratch. Um, Baylor is really really a hard team to to, re, to lead or to read going forward. Tech is uh, good God, man. They're they're just they're building a dynamo out there in Lubbock. Unfortunately, um, Texas, good God, who knows? Kansas is the most unstable we've ever seen that program, which still means that they win you know twenty five games a year. Um, I think the Frogs can be up there if they're healthy next year. I don't think that they're going to compete for the the regular season title, but I think that they can compete to be a top four seed going into the tournament, the conference tournament for sure. Yeah, I think that I think that's about right. But, um, but I, you know, I think. Years. Yeah, I think um, it's hard to say next year after a year that we've had, but that's just uh, recency bias. I think uh, give it two years. Get to Kendrick Davis's junior year. Get to Kevin Samuel's junior year. Kwat Noy is a senior. Um, and let those three guys, and then you've got, a, you know, a sophomore, P.J. Fuller at that point. Who knows? You may even have R.J. Hampton at that point. He seems to be pretty oh, high on TCU yeah. right now. And and then you've really started to put together, uh, you're in year five of, of Dixon's run as head coach, which means he's got all of his dudes in here at this point. Um, yeah, give it two years, and I think TCU will, will really start to to reach that upper echelon of the big 12. And in three or four years, once that kind of standard has been set, that expectation has been set um, for the frogs to, to kind of start to maybe be consistently competitive uh, for that top kind of third of the big 12 standing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want to move on to our, our special uh, hypothetical scenario? Yes, I do. Um, so let's see here. So we got a direct message from a guy named Preston today who uh, asked us, um, he, he's called it an odd request. I think it's a really cool uh, experiment, thought experiment here. What's your TCU baseball lineup made up of all-time non-baseball greats? So TCU athletes who did not play baseball, put them in a baseball lineup and, and – uh, so let's kind of go from there. I've been thinking about this since we got this message like four hours ago. Yes. Um, Andy Dalton as starting pitcher. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Seems pretty apparent to me. Um, you've got uh, some big hitters who seem like they're uh, maybe kind of that the corner outfielder type guys and uh, Marvin White. Um you like what I did there with big hitters, put him yeah, out there in like right field or yeah. something. Uh, and then you've got um, Jason Verrett out there in left field because you've got speed in the corner outfielders there. That is unbelievable. And on the bases would just be absolutely unbelievable. Um, give me uh, Kenny hustle at catcher. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, because the dude works, he cleans the glass, he'll clean the plate. How okay. about that? Um, I like that. Some dish metaphors there. We've got, um, oh, I'm doing this all off the top of my head because I, I didn't write it all down. 
Melissa, if you if you've got a position player that you want to add in there, chime in at center, any point in time. Center field, Trayvon Boykin. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Kenny Hill, uh, former baseball great at either second or short. Yeah, you got to put him up the middle somewhere. I would say I would yeah. say second base. Um, I don't know. He's got a good arm for short. He does have a pretty good arm. He does but have not a pretty a good arm. As far as baseball goes, right? Uh, right. It's ridiculous. People are ridiculous. I can't. It's people are ridiculous, Melissa. Um, yeah. You know, I want to mix maybe, in some maybe. other folks here. Cameron Nori at first base. Mm, yeah, that's a good call. Right. Good call. Because uh, you know, I think we don't know much about about throwing with Cameron Nori, mm-hmm. but we True. know that he can hit the crap out of a tennis ball. And you always want some pop from your first baseman. And I'm fairly certain he would be capable of catching throws from other people. So yeah, give me Cameron absolutely. Nori at first base. Would be mm-hmm. pretty legit. Uh, and so third at that point we're, we're needing, we're needing the third baseman. I feel like Des, I feel like Des Bain could be a pretty legit third baseman. I know he's got a rocket yeah. for an arm because I've seen him throw some really long outlet passes up ahead of the defense. He's really quick, mm-hmm. and I think third base is all about reaction time and reaction speed, and that dude is super, super quick. Um, and yeah. and I, I feel like he could probably hit, too, just because everything moves so fast with him. Yeah, I think so, too. And I know that the, the question posed was all-time non-baseball greats, and we've gone all the way back like seven yeah. years in TCU like athletics history. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so probably we should, we should mix in LT in there somewhere. Um, what about, uh, uh, um, you know what? LT at catcher would probably be pretty great. Okay. catcher would be great. Yeah. So maybe, we maybe, can move uh, Kenrich to Sammy. the bullpen. Yeah. Sammy ball was a, was a heck of a, uh, uh, an athlete, so or Davy O'Brien. Yeah. I think you could put those guys on the corners think, too, for sure. Yeah, or you know, stock up your bullpen. You get oh, Davy yeah. and Sammy in the bullpen. You know that dual clo- setup and closer role, kind of lock it down on the back end there. It's pretty solid. Yeah, I like it. Hard to you disagree know. with that. You know, you got to have yeah, maybe Bob Lilly as a as a backup infielder, uh, first yeah, baseman somewhere sure. around there. Um. You probably should mix in Lee Nalen and uh, Kurt Thomas if we're talking about all-time TCU greats. Yeah, but I don't I – dude, they're yeah, kind of bench good players. to be tall in baseball. I don't know that it's good to be 6'8", kind of tall. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Really Brian, Howard would, Brian Howard would ar- argue with you there, I think. As a pitcher. Because that dude pitcher, is 7 feet tall. Do, yeah, but, but I think they could pitch. I don't see him play in the field. Yeah, it's Although true. From what Building I heard a ground ball would be. He definitely played the field. Okay. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Sweet. Do we have? So there, there you go. There's our, there's our thinking game. I, I. That's a fun thing to think about. I would also like for us to think about in, in the future, uh, all time starting eleven on an offense for TCU football that didn't play TCU football. Um, but Ooh, played other TCU like sports, that. you know. I like, like that. I'm telling you, I want Durbin you... Feltman uh, at quarterback. Yeah, or Matt Carpenter at, at, at tight end or something, you know. 
I don't know. That would be more difficult. Luke and Baker would have to be like a left guard or something. Yeah, or a linebacker. I still mm-hmm. want to see that dude hit somebody. That's just still my, my dream in life. Yeah, it'd be pretty painful for that other guy. So <laughs> he played uh he played up with the big league with the Cardinals uh this week. He's in spring training, yeah. he's with the pro team working out. That's kind of fun to yeah. see. Got got a couple looked I think he got a couple hits and uh in, in some spring training games and did some good things. So yeah, that's definitely mm-hmm. exciting. He's gonna, I don't think he'll make the roster starting out this season, but I wouldn't be shocked if, if he becomes a call up at some time this year. I I fully expect Durbin Feltman to be on the Boston Red Sox by June. Uh, uh yeah, Durbin will be Durbin will be up sooner rather than later with Luke and it might take another season just because he's still relatively raw by by pro standards um, because he missed so much time at the collegiate level, but he's motioned the ball. There's no doubt about it. And that translates. So for sure, we'll see. We'll see. Do we have any more questions? That was it. At least of the cool. ones that I'm willing to say on the radio. Oh, okay. Excellent. Well, in that case, then this has been uh, another episode of the frogs war podcast. Let's pray that this one doesn't go the same way as last week so that it actually publishes and hits your ears. Um, we would hate for the people it, to miss out on this. I mean, it's been a tremendous episode once again. Tremendous content all tremendous. the time. Not only from the Frogs War podcast, but also from frogswar.com. We've got a lot of great stuff rolling right now. Uh, a lot of folks writing some really quality quality pieces. So go check all of that stuff out at frogswar.com. Follow us on Twitter at frogswar. Follow us on Instagram at frogs underscore o underscore war. Like us on Facebook. Follow Melissa on Twitter at the coach Melissa. Follow me on Twitter at frog preacher and subscribe and like the podcast on iTunes or anywhere else that podcasts are found. And most importantly, go frogs, go frogs. <laughs>